Fall morning. It's going to be summer again starting tomorrow, though, but uh, it's beautiful out there. Uh, hey, my name is John Maroos. I'm the lead pastor here. Super good to see everybody. I mean it. Uh, I'm probably going to tear up a lot, but if you guys would stop growing and stop being miraculous in God's hands, I wouldn't tear up all the time, all right? Uh, but it's so good to see you guys, and I love you guys. Um, we are going to do something a little bit different. We're actually going to take our offering right now. So I'm going to ask our ushers to come down. Uh, we've tried our offering in a couple different spots in our gathering, and we can't find a good spot. So we're going to shuffle it around. And I'm going to give you some fun things, uh, just some exciting uh, things that are going on um, at Bethel uh, while the plates are passing. So you go ahead and just give. If you're visiting with us, no pressure at all. We just want you to give your heart and open your heart as the word goes forth. Um, do I got my ushers? All right, there we go. There we go. Thank you, guys. I'm going to pray over the offering real quick, then we'll dive into some good announcements. Father, thank you again for a sweet morning. It's good to be in your presence. It's good to feel your presence this morning. And as Jesus has given so much to us, he's given us his all. We pray that in return, so the gospel goes out, you'd bless our hands as we give as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, some cool stuff going on, you guys. Uh, first of all, if you're visiting with us, that's amazing. Thank you so much for visiting with us. There should be a little Connect card in front of you in the pew. Uh, we'd be honored. We'd be blessed if you filled that guy out. Um, write down any questions you have on that card, any questions at all about Christianity, about what we're trying to do here as a church right after our service. On the other side of that wall, uh, you can trade that little card for... Uh, an awesome book by our friend Francis Chan, uh, who is actually going to be coming together with us. I'm leaking this out. I shouldn't be doing this. But uh, I've been praying to do something special on Christmas Eve, which is on a Sunday this year. And Francis hit me up and asked if he wanted to, if we wanted to do a combined service with him on Christmas Eve, uh, which is a Sunday night service that we're going to do. And I said, yeah, let me think about it. I thought for like two seconds, and I said, yeah, let's do it. It's on. Um, how many of you guys like that right there? That's pretty exciting. I'm huh? Francis Chan coming in, worshiping the Lord. You better be more excited than that. What do I got to Thank you. Thank you. What do I got to do? All right. All right. But uh, super excited to have you visiting with us, uh, and we'll give you a free Francis Chan book. Uh, if you're a first-time visitor, or if this is your second or third time and you got out of here without getting that book, stop by. I uh, would love to give that to you. Hey, if you're a member here at Bethel, we do have an assembly meeting after church downstairs. We're going to be voting in some new deacons and a couple of other exciting things, so make sure you're down there super fast. Our Young Adults Community Group is going down Thursday night. We had an amazing night again. Uh, this is week two, kind of in our new season. Uh, with our community group, our small group. And uh, I think if we get everybody together, we are not going to fit in this house. So it's been super amazing to see what God has done in bringing uh, seekers and just amazing young people who are passionate about Jesus and a lot of young people who have a lot of questions about Jesus. But that's been super exciting. So hit us up. There's an email address in your bulletin. Um, you can email us for more info on that. And speaking of our bulletin, you guys, I got so much to say. We need to get together more than once a week. Um, here's a teaser right here. You know what this is right here that I hold in my hand? Huh? This is a new bulletin. We're going to be launching a new bulletin probably in the next two or three weeks. Um, although we love our bulletin, we want something fresh. Um, so can you, can everyone see that right there? 
Of course you can. Only I can see it. Only I can see it. So you're going to have to be here for the next couple of weeks, and we're going to launch this guy out. It's just gorgeous. Uh, Jeffrey, our worship arts coordinator, designs all this stuff, and he's very gifted. But I'm super pumped to uh, lay this guy out. If you're super amazing, I'll give this uh, teaser out to you. If you're super amazing, right after our gathering, I'm very excited about that. And then if you're uh, if you're if you're coming through this place, guys, bring candy. We want more candy. Our harvest fair is going down the 22nd. We just opened our building for our neighborhood. We love on the kids in the neighborhood. We want to give them a safe place to come, and uh, we want to tell them about Jesus as well on that night. We get about a thousand kids rolling through here. But we like candy. We want to bless them with candy and Jesus. So grab some bags of candy at the store. Come back on Sunday. Drop them on one of those tables in our lobby and help us make this thing happen. Uh, got some great stuff going down also with Christmas. Putting together a fantastic Christmas celebration to end an amazing year here at Bethel. You can sign up. We're going to be doing all kinds of stuff with the arts. Sign up uh, at our info desk if you want to be a part of that. Man, if you, if you rap... If you're a poet, if you paint, if you're a musician or whatever, like just sign up and dive into that. Agada is heading that up and she is so gifted and amazing. We're very excited about that. Woo, that was a, that was a lot. That was a lot. And the reason I'm holding another mic in my hand is because I got a lot to say today. No, it's not, but I do got a lot to say. Um, where's Adrian at? Where's my man, Adrian? Where you at? You can't hide. Come here. Get up here. All right, if you don't know, this is Adrian, and this guy is my friend. He's your friend. He is a faithful, faithful blessing. Give me, give me some big love. Yeah. So Adrian owes me money, and I'm collecting. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, but Adrian is very, very dear to my heart. I mean that. And Adrian has been working with our teens for a, a good while now. And he's been involved in just all kinds of different parts of ministry. And I'm not just building him up right here. I'm telling you the truth. Uh, I love this guy. And he's got an amazing, amazing heart. And uh, uh, this is Dr. Adrian. Uh, this guy's got a PhD. Is that right? One of these smart guys. <laughs> and I, I tell you that because uh, my friend who's a scientist here, uh, who absolutely loves this church and loves this city and has been serving here for how long? Three years? You, how long have you been in San Francisco? How long? Are we on? Eight years. There we go. Eight years. Um, so after eight years of, of being in the city, studying, uh, earning this amazing degree, and then uh, serving in this church, Adrian has a job offer down in San Diego, his home city. I know, right? What's up with that? I know, we're kind of like, whatever, dude. We love you, but that's not what we want to hear. Um, but uh, um, Adrian, myself, uh, Luke, Jessica, we've been fasting and praying because this guy has such an amazing heart. He's honestly, with a job offer in his home city, is like, I don't know, maybe I should stay here. And so, I mean, that's incredible. That's incredible right there. Um, rather than taking a a job right in the field of study and everything else just to, to serve here and serve the teens that's amazing you guys and so through a lot of prayer and fasting we've had to sift through our selfishness because I have just straight up prayed like Lord just keep him here he can sleep on our couch it's all good um, but Adrian is, he has already accepted the job and uh, we feel like that's the Lord's will 
So he's actually going to be moving down to San Diego. When? When are you leaving? Uh, maybe this Thursday or Friday. Yeah. It's up in the air. Can we just give him like a thumbs down right now? No. <laughs> it's all love. It's all love. But I just want to bring Adrian up here and tell you that I love you. I'm serious. And I'm going to tear up right here. <laughs> but it's all good. Um, don't tell anybody I'm crying. Okay. Um, but I, I'm serious. I want to tell you that I love you. I know I speak for all these people. We love you. And uh, yeah, we're going to come down and we're going to surf with you. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> in San Diego. But I just want to give you an opportunity of... Not to put you on the spot. If you want to say anything, um, yeah, it's all yours, man. Thank you. Uh, this is I didn't, I didn't prepare, so uh, it's been amazing uh, four years for me uh, serving in the youth ministry and receiving a lot of love from this church. Uh, this church is really like my family, and that's pretty much why I don't want to leave. <laughs> because although I have my family in San Diego, this is also my family, and I love John and his family. Our pastors are amazing, and this church has helped me grow so much in my walk with Christ. It's just overwhelming. Mm. And, you know, if, if you're here and you only come on Sundays and for you church is something that you do on Sundays and then you go back home, that's, you're missing out on mm. so much. Mm. You know, our walk with Christ is really made through a relationship with our pastors, with people in the church. You know, as being the body of Christ, that's really what makes the difference. And serving for me has been such a great blessing, serving with the youth. And that's have really made a huge impact in my life and in my, in my heart and my mind. And just appreciate everybody, all the parents, their trust, you know, with your kids to me. Uh, thank you so much. And, and John, Jessica, and Anna for all their amazing support. I just love you guys so much. And, yeah, this is so sad. But, you know, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Let's, let's make it. Let's make it something beautiful. Let's make it something Thank beautiful. You. Because Jesus is in it. When Jesus is in it, it's beautiful. Um, we'll miss you. Yeah, we're better at you. No. <laughs> no, we believe that this is God's will. And we're so, so blessed. Um, Adrian and I have made a little pact. We're going to meet halfway. That's... Uh, yes. Th where is that? Daily City? <laughs> we're going to hang out together. But uh, Adrian will be around. I know he will be. And man, you're forever in our hearts. And I just want us to pray for him and just give thanks to God. And uh, I don't want to be weird or anything, but uh, maybe just uh, bow your head with me. Maybe stretch your hand out together collectively and, and just thank the Lord for such an amazing guy with me. Father, thank you. And your children are amazing. And they're amazing because of your spirit in them. And uh, it's just crazy that we can meet brothers and sisters all over the world in different cities and our hearts can just be knit and we feel Jesus through each other and I thank you for my friend. This man is my friend. And I pray that you would use him in ways that he never thought imaginable and that he would reveal that you're the God of the sciences and that you would use him to to find great things, cures for cancer and, and all the rest, which shows your restoring power, Lord Jesus. And uh, Adrian tells me all the time, Father, that we've changed him here, but I think he's changed us. And so we're just really, really happy. 
And I pray that today would just be a party, that we'd celebrate um, this amazing guy's time here, that people would just bless him and spoil him and stuff him with great food and big hugs and huge prayers and just tell him we love you. And on his travels, Father, may it be so sweet and may he not fear a thing, but may you use him to do mighty, mighty things. And may you use him in the church down there. May you draw his family even closer to you as he comes home. And we want to thank you that we've been able to borrow this guy for eight years of joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Give it up one more time. Love you. Love you, man. Thank you so much. Give me that back. (laughs) Oh, man. No one else leave, okay? I can only do so much of that. (laughs) Oh, man. You ready? All right, let's do this. Ephesians 2, let's go. Ah. I'm struggling a little bit, pastoring here (laughs) in San Francisco. We just had like a whole group of people who are in town just momentarily, like five months, and we were discipling them in our home, and it's, it's crazy. Like, man, God just, at least with me, I don't know, maybe I'm weird. Maybe this is right. I think it's right. Like, my heart just begins to knit. And then they got to go. They got to leave. They got to go back home. They were just here for a season. And I don't know how I'm going to handle that. (laughs) Like, it's just, oh, man, it's so hard. Love is so strong and so beautiful. So I just ask for God's grace and understanding. But, yeah, as we're even going into this new uh, small group season, it's not even a small group. I think we had 20 people there Thursday night. Um, but man, I'm already feeling like this connection and I don't know, it's just an intense place to pastor and I'm here forever. So I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to teach me how to love and let go because <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. So thank you all who live in San Francisco forever. <laughs> I just love that. And don't go anywhere for the sake of my heart. Well, I want to, I want to share something with you. That's huge. You guys. I want to share a really, a really big topic as we're talking about spiritual warfare, and it's because I care about you a lot. Uh, like, like Paul said uh, to one of the churches he planted, I carry you in my heart. And I feel that way. I, I really feel like I carry you in my heart. Even if you're, even I just met you last week, I just, I feel that sense of connection. And one of the things that uh, I'm hearing a lot is uh, people don't know where they stand with God. They don't know if they're saved and they, they don't know what it looks like to be saved and they, they've kind of been jacked up for a while and made some mistakes and all that and they're just kind of scared about where they stand with God and I just want to destroy that today. I just want the Holy Spirit to, to demolish that thought. And by the time we're done, I want you for the rest of your days to know where you stand with God. Um, no more wavering, uh, a solid understanding of what it is to be saved. Because I think that's the foundation of life. Like if you know that there's a God in heaven who you can call Father and he's amazing 
and you cannot escape his relentless love, the chesed of God. It's, it's, it's the weirdest word used in the Bible to speak of God's love. Like you can't even translate this, this old Hebrew word. And, and don't get me wrong, I don't want to weird you out, but there's almost a sense of like it's a violent love. And I don't mean like an assaulting love. I mean God's love is a love that will not let anything between him and you. Like it's a relentless love that's going to wipe out anything that gets between you and him because he loves you that much. And I need you to get that. So we just finished this vision. You you ready for that? We just finished this vision series. I'm trying to to give you a, a look at what I think the Holy Spirit's doing here and what we're supposed to be as a church. We want to be a church for the city. Uh, V24, right here on the corner, here we are. We got this amazing place. We got an amazing core. God's growing the church. A lot of great things are happening, but we want to be a church on the move. We want to see miraculous things happen in our city. We want to we see people come to Jesus Christ. Like, I'm not apologizing about that at all. Like, my soul, this guy, he was from L.A., and he's been podcasting us. And uh, he came up uh, last Sunday, and, and he said to me, this was amazing. This was the most amazing time I had here worshiping with you guys. And he goes like this, like, you must have said Jesus like 50 times in this place. And he's like, I'm so happy that you're not playing with, with things, but you're teaching the Word of God. Like, that's where the power of God is. So we want that. We want that type of church that disciples and moves into the city. But here's what I want you to believe about you. I don't, I don't care if you had a bad week in a certain way. I care, but I don't care in a certain way. Because no matter what happened to you this week, God wants to use you. Like we get this mentality that we've lowered our ranking in God's economy or something like that. And here's what I want you to believe. We as a church want Want Almighty God, man, to just take us into places, new places in life that we literally thought we would never be or we could never get to. Look at Ephesians 2, look at verse 8. This is exactly what Paul says the gospel does. This is exactly what Paul says becoming a Christian does. And I'm starting to think that part of our vision is rehabilitating Christian people. Like, I'm just getting the sense that this is going to become a major part of our ministry is to take really, really broken teaching that has been embedded in the minds of people where they they think God is this way and serving God looks this way and going to church looks this way and, and releasing them and freeing them from that idea of what it looks like to serve a radical God and setting them free on a new journey to serve God in new ways. So look at Ephesians 2.8. Let me walk you through this. For by grace you've been saved. You're saved by grace. You become a Christian by believing in what Jesus did. That's it. It's through faith. It's through believing that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He rose from the dead to give me new life. He's with God in heaven right now. And if I believe in what he did for me, and I call on his name to forgive me of my sins, I will be forgiven and I will be a child of God. That's what we call the gospel. And then he goes like this. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Thank God for that. Let me tell you something. If it was my doing to make sure I could be good enough to be accepted by God, I would be a dead man. Praise the Lord for this Christian life. 
He says in verse 9, it's not a result of works. Over and over, he's reiterating this. You can't be good enough to earn your way to God. You don't need to. Jesus was good enough for you. And you're like, what's that all about? That sounds too easy. That was my thing. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew, I grew up in an atheist home. <laughs> you you want to know how powerful God is? An atheist home. Failed speech class three times. And when I heard the Christian gospel for the first time, this good news that I could have new life in God, and, and Jesus did everything for me. He lived a perfect life for me. He died on the cross for my sins. And all I needed to do is believe. I was like, but that's too easy. Like, I've got a, I have got a laundry list of stuff I've done. That's too easy. You can't tell me he's going to erase the whole thing if I believe. There's got to be something I do. There's got to be some merit I earn. Why would God do this? It's, the, it's at the end of verse 9. So that no one may boast. So no one can say, oh, yeah, God, he, he's okay, but I was actually good enough to be accepted by God I'm in a relationship with God because I'm really, really polished. I cleaned it up. God's like, no, I get the glory for all of this. And your greatest joy is when you glorify me. Amen. And so he's like this. No, nobody's good enough because my standard's perfection. But if you believe in Jesus and I save you through faith, just point everything to me and watch what happens in your heart. Amen. So that's how we get saved, right? That's how we become Christian people. Don't, don't misunderstand that. And now watch the beauty. And by the way, I remember seeing this in the church we planted in, in Sacramento. I'm like, if my life just stopped right there, like all I knew is that my sins are forgiven, all the nasty things I had ever done in my life, it's all under the blood of Jesus. Like if, it, if that was all God ever gave me, this would be a life worth living. But then he adds verse 10. Uh, you're not just forgiven and kind of, you know, good luck down there. He goes, for we are his workmanship. Underline that word workmanship, even if you got a pew Bible. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Someone needs to see this underlined. We are his workmanship. You say, man, you don't, know, you don't understand my day. You don't understand what we did this morning. You don't understand the fight I have with my spouse. You don't understand what I looked at Thursday night or whatever it is. You are still his workmanship. Amen. Check it out. That word means poetry. You are his poem. He's writing line by line every day. Something new and beautiful every day. You are his canvas. Brush stroke after brush stroke after brush stroke after brush stroke. And you're starting to come in view who you are. You're like his, you're like his, uh, his, his sculpture. Like there's this, there's this ugly block called John Maroos, and over the years, God has just chipped a piece off here and chipped a piece off here. See, that's what we call trials. Like, why is this happening to me? Chip a piece off here, chip a piece off here. Pretty soon, I'm starting to see this, this person emerge through the stony hardness. I'm starting to see this, this beautiful thing come to pass. That's you if you're in Christ. Now, why is he changing your heart day by day by day by day? Why is he, he putting the things of Jesus in your heart and making you new? For we are his poem he's writing, created in Christ Jesus, only through Christ Jesus, watch this, for good works. Oh, no, we're not saved by good works. We're saved and put on a journey to do something amazing in this world now. We're not just to go to church, sit in a pew, and do our thing. We're to grow into this beautiful painting and then do something beautiful in the name of Jesus out there. And then I love this guy. If you don't feel special right here, which God prepared beforehand. Before what? 
Before anything was ever spoken into existence, God said, I'm going to save you, and then I'm going to give you these talents and these gifts, and then I'm going to put you in this city, and then I'm going to ordain and write out the type of specific thing you're going to do to help human beings and glorify my name forever. That, that's you. <clears throat> and here's what I love. It's not an option. God's just moving I love it. He's like, no, I believe in you. You just got to believe in my gospel. You got to believe in grace. And even though you may have had a really bad week or whatever, this plan has not changed. Maybe, maybe the poem line by line was getting real beautiful. But then Wednesday hit, and that, that next line of the poem got real ugly. You know, that thing's flowing, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, man. That's a really bad line right there. God says, don't sweat it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to wipe it off the page and we're going to start writing again. This is Christianity. And if you're, you're, if you're here and you're not a Christian, like I just want to entice you. This is what we got. This is God. Now this isn't bondage at all. This is liberty. This is power. This is freedom. Purpose and joy. Now, I love that part of Ephesians. Like, that's, that's the letter right there. I'm, I'm, I'm digging that right there. We're in Ephesians 1. We're in Ephesians 2. And Paul is writing this letter to a church. And he's just like, and, and the next thing that God's given you, and the next thing that God has given you, and the next blessing that God has given you, he's like filling us up. Like, man, God, you're giving us all these blessings. This is an amazing life. But then what you find in Ephesians 6 is something different. Like he's laying out all these amazing promises that you get from God when you become a Christian. But then he says something that's crazy in 6.12. Like here you go, God's giving you this, and then God's giving you this, and God's doing this. And then verse 12 hits him in chapter 6, and he goes like this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And I'm like, whoa, 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 where did the wrestling match come in? This was Christmas. We were receiving stuff. God was pouring out blessing. And Paul's like this. Before I finish this letter, I need you to understand that not everybody is for what's happening to you down there. There is a world that's trying to resist this, that's trying to stop you from experiencing this God. There were some MMA fights on last night. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, I grew up in a boxing family. You know, it's just what we did. I don't know. Um, so you think, you think of the word wrestling and I'm like, man, man, like that's what it feels like sometimes a strong kick to the bridge of the nose is what it can feel like sometimes. Like you are just going along your path and all of a sudden you get rocked. And that's what Paul is saying. Let, you're, you're getting the blessings of God, but understand there's another world at work and you are not just wrestling against flesh and blood. That's not just a... That's not just a flat tire or a bad phone call or a heavy email or something posted on Facebook against you, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. He's like, you got to start looking past the physical and understanding that some of the things that are happening to you are to discourage you and keep you from going towards this God. Now, let me clarify a couple things. I'm not saying everything going on in our lives has to do with satanic working. We got to be careful. Like, you got a flat tire and you're like, curse you, Satan. <laughs> like, the construction guy may have left a nail in the, in the road. 
Um, there's also a sovereign God who's doing things and, and moving things into motion to grow us in patience and all that. So you have to be very careful about this. But I need us to understand as a pastor that there is another world. And uh, we are in a very intellectual city. We are also in a very spiritual city. I don't know what the spirit is, but it's a spiritual city. And so I want to ask you a couple things. Is this all just superstition? Uh, has science, which I'm big on science, has technology, I'm big on technology, but has science and technology caused us to forget that this world's here? Or is this superstition? If it's just superstition, you know what I've noticed, guys? I keep seeing it everywhere. I keep seeing this narrative of another world, another spiritual world in a war with our physical world. I see it everywhere. I see it in all of our great literature, don't you? It's laced in every movie. I even see it coming from non-Christian scientists, physicists. It's everywhere. And if it's everywhere, maybe just maybe it's because the thumbprint is on the human soul that all of us know deep down inside that there is another world at work. Um, why in the world are we obsessed with the supernatural? Now, this is why when you're flipping through, you know, uh, you know, all 600 channels and the Bigfoot special clicks on and you're like, oh, man, let me check this out a little bit. Or, you know, you're, you're getting groceries at the grocery store and you kind of glance over and you're like, UFO, what? What'd they find? You know, maybe, just maybe. We are obsessed with the supernatural, and I don't want to overly speak for all of us, but if you look at everything on Netflix, it's a narrative in our world, and you've got to ask yourself why. What do all of us know, Christian, religious, non-religious? You guys know I'm a J.R.R. Tolkien nerd, right? Check this out. In the beginning of Tolkien's series, The Lord of the Rings, the most amazing thing uh, is said. This narrative is going about, and, uh, and Tolkien is explaining how the world has gone on for generations and generations, but a long, long time ago, evil entered the world. But after generations and generations and development of culture and society, here's what the narrator said. Some things that should not have been forgotten were lost. History became legend. Legend became myth. Why, why did Tolkien weave that into that great story? Because he knows something. Brian Greene, who's got a great TED Talk, he's a physicist. He's definitely not religious by any means. Um, does an amazing talk on other worlds. Just bear with me. I need you to see this. I need you to hear this. And uh, in a 22-minute TED Talk, he's, he's, and I'm not going to bore you with this stuff, um, but we believe in, in four dimensions. We, we think we found them. You know, you've got, you've got space and time, and it makes up these kind of four dimensions. That's, that's how we know we're here. It's, it's our world. You have depth and height and time. Like, that's us. And uh, this, this non-religious physicist does this whole talk that there are at least at least six, if not seven, if not more dimensions at work in our world. And this is where you get all your movies, Interstellar, where there's like these slices into other worlds and other dimensions. What does humanity know? 
So look at Ephesians 6.10. This is not uh, an archaic book. This is ancient wisdom for contemporary problems. That's what the Bible is. Look at Ephesians 6. Look at verse 11. That, that's why Paul goes, put on the whole armor of God, guys. Like God's pouring his blessing out. He's doing things in your life. But you got to guard yourself from this world as well that you may, may be able to stand against the schemes. Look at that word. The schemes of the devil. Now, we all think like Satan's coming with a pitchfork, like the dragon or something, and he's going to crash down on our houses or something like, like that. It's much more subtle in Paul's mind. He uses subtle things, schemes. You know, anybody ever watch the, uh, the Nature Channel, like when you can't sleep at night? And you get those cats, those big cats, and, and they prowl through the, uh, the long grass in Africa, and they're, kind of, they're just lurking, and they're looking up, and you're like, ooh, man, this is not going to end well. And that, that prancing antelope's just like ob oblivious of everything going on. This big cat's like creeping, and he's creeping. And then, you know, they'll work in teams. Like there's another one coming around that way, and he's like even making a little noise so that, you know, prancing antelope will look over here, and this guy just starts slipping around this side. That's the word schemes. There are schemes. A full frontal attack is way too obvious. Subtle things. That's, that's what the, the spiritual world is doing to us. Just, just subtle things. By the way, it needs to be subtle enough to not be obvious. Subtle things to keep us doubting God. Subtle things like questioning God. Jesus, weren't you just baptized by God? Didn't he just say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased? Why are you dying on this mountain? If he really was your father and he really promised to take care of you, where is he? Make these stones bread. Do it yourself. Forget faith. Make it happen yourself. Don't yield to God's control. Do it yourself. He lied about being your father. Just enough subtle questioning in the minds. So many people get hurt. They get hurt in church. Uh, I understand that. I hate that. Those are the subtle schemes that the devil wants. Yeah, don't go back there, those people. Uh, the more disenfranchised young people we meet, man, it's, it's killing me. It's crazy. Like the stuff they've gone through in church. Yeah, it's just enough of a subtle scheme to keep you just out of the game. Frustrated towards God, frustrated towards the church. I, I personally believe, and we could go on and on with what these schemes are, but I personally believe that this spiritual world wants to keep us not away from God. It's too obvious but just off balance towards God so we question things and we never go quite hard enough towards them through things like binding rules. You see, the, the church gets these stagnant binding rules over people and it's just enough to say, man, I don't, I don't feel good about this God because of all these guilty rules that I'm living with or religious pressure. Well, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this or just a flat out misrepresentation of God. Like we sang that song that Tomlin sang about good, good father. And like I know people have heard many stories about who you are. And so many, so many of them are wrong. Just enough of a wrong message to get you to say, if that's God, I'm just not sure. I'm still seeking. Being judged. 
trying to be a free explorer of God and being judged because you're thinking outside the box. Just enough to say, ah, church. Uh, we talked about it last week, but guilt, guilt about failure. Ooh, that's, that's one of the classic attacks. Just a subtle enough attack on the mind that says, you did it, you did it again, you'll do it again. Why do you keep trying? And Paul's like, I love you guys so much. I want to write to you so you will wage war. And man, I'm telling you guys the truth. The Lord has really been revealing this to so many people lately around me. Like just these misrepresentation and misconception of God and who he is through God's people. And again, it's not to knock anybody out. It's just like a nagging injury in sports. I played a lot of sports, and, and it was so hard when you just get one of those nagging injuries, like a cracked finger or something. It wasn't enough to take you out of the game, but you just couldn't hold the ball right. It was enough just to keep you from being effective in the game. And that's all that needs to happen. Enough to keep you from your full potential. C.S. Lewis, I nerd out with him. Screw tape letters, if you've never seen that play, brilliant stuff. And that's the whole concept of the play is the subtle schemes of this world and how they want, see, see this world wants you in church just off your game. And, and let me quote this, let's throw it up behind me. Here's what, uh, here's what these demon forces say in screw tape letters as they're talking about how to mess us Christians up. A moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all and more amusing. In other words, a half-believed, half-lived, broken, limping Christian is just as good as no Christian at all. It's even actually amusing watching them be that close to God but not believe. This is a war. Ephesians 6.13. Like, I feel, <laughs> I feel angry at times. Like, at this war, you know. Like, God, just blow this thing open. So look at, look at 6.13. And some of you are just going to walk out of here liberated, like tough. It's just going to happen. And you're going to have to face the joy of being used by God. It's going to be awesome. Look at Ephesians 6.13. He goes, therefore, because this is going on, therefore, here's what I need you to do. Guys, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, like dig the feet in, you know, shields ready, line by line, line by line. By the way, remember, it's an army. We, we're, not, we're not designed to do this alone. We're to do this as a church. We get banged up out there. We come in here. We gather in small groups and, and, and 930 Bible studies and all the rest, and we put on the armor of God together. And, and we were talking about this Thursday night at our uh, community group, and, and Luke, uh, who hosts it with his wife, he made a great comment. He's like, you know, it's a trip. Like, you couldn't even put on your own armor. Like, it had to be buckled by another soldier behind your back. And I'm like, ooh, that's good. That is so good. Like, we're supposed to help each other put the armor on so we can dig our heels in and withstand these assaults. And not only withstand them, but the Scripture says, if we resist, this, this, this world, this, this realm is going to flee. He says, withstand in the evil day. What in the world is the evil day? That's an age. That's like from the time Jesus died to the time Jesus comes back. <laughs> it's like one long day. That's all messed up. 
sprinkled with beauty in the midst. And then he goes, having done all, guys, like do everything you can to stand against this war. And so I just want to go through this one more time. Let me give you something a little similar from last week, but it's, gonna, it's going to open up a whole new piece. I want to talk about the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. What in the world is the helmet of salvation in Ephesians 6? Paul goes, you need to put on the helmet of salvation. I'm like, that's weird. And so here's what Paul's doing. I explained this last week. Paul is sitting there and he's writing this letter and uh, he wants to, he loves these people so much and he wants them to experience this God so much and he's so concerned because he can't be there that these lies, these schemes are gonna keep these amazing people from reaching their full potential with God. And so he looks over because he's chained next to a Roman soldier. And every six hours, a new Roman soldier would come in and, and put a, a shackle on, on his hand and he would sit there and probably slump down asleep as Paul would write. And Paul's trying to like, think, how do I get these guys to understand how to fight this war and not let this happen? And he glances over at that Roman soldier and he's like, there it is. Just like a soldier's armor. We need to protect here. We need to protect here. We need to protect here. We need to pick up this. And we need to go to battle. And so he starts writing this out. You see, if you want to protect yourself from these, these types of assaults, it's like putting on a helmet. Now, I had a, a real good friend in Seattle, uh, the church I got saved at, and a fantastic guy, but he, he used to tell his kids, and this, I just got to say this, and I love him, and he listens to my sermon. So, dude, I love you, and you've since repented, so it's all good. <laughs> but he used to, he used to bring his kids out, and they would all put their helmets on like this in the morning. And I'm like, no, that's not what's happening. Don't do that. Like this evil spiritual world could care less about you putting a pretend helmet on. Does nothing for you. It's an analogy. Look at 617. Let's talk about the helmet of salvation. He goes and take the helmet of salvation. Get the helmet of salvation on. Now why the helmets? That tells us exactly where the attack is. Why do you need to guard your, your head? It's an attack on your thought life. He says, you better, you better protect your thoughts. Uh, let me give you an example. Here's how, here's how I roll. Literally nothing bad could be happening, and tomorrow has not yet manifested itself, and yet I have a slew of wrong thoughts flying through my mind that I've already sold out to that they must happen. And that's all the scheme is, is just to get you to doubt enough in your mind, because the scripture says that thoughts control the life. So it's like dealing with the root. You know, pour a little gasoline on a root, kill the root, kill the tree. Attack the mind, attack the life. Get us thinking incorrectly, get us living incorrectly. Get us believing incorrectly, get us doubting if we can ever follow God the right way. The mind. He's like, guard your thought life. But you know what's a trip? He goes, put on the helmet of salvation. Guard your mind. And then he uses the word salvation. And that's where it gets intense. Guard your thoughts about your salvation. Which is to say that this spiritual world, this evil spiritual world, finds you at your low point and begins to lodge doubt in your thoughts about if you're truly saved. You see it? It's to get you to doubt your salvation. 
Man, outside, you guys, that world seems like a violent place, does it not? Uh, There's all kinds of beauty mingled in between. My wife and I rolled through it all day yesterday. Uh, My daughter, it's her birthday, by the way, today. Total plug for her right there. Girl, you owe me a couple presents now. But they went surfing. Adrian and, and a couple other people went surfing. You know, there's so much beauty out there in the world, but outside that world can seem like a violent, violent place. And then, guys, and then, because we're tired, like we're tired. It's such a busy life as well. We stumble, don't we? We stumble. We look at the wrong thing. We say the wrong thing. We think the wrong thing. We do the wrong thing. Our feet give way. Our lungs are full of sin. And we begin to think, man, I did it again, and how does God see me? Is God rejecting me? Nah, this isn't last week's sermon. It's not like, uh, maybe I've lowered my standing with God. No, this is like, does God even love me anymore? Am I really saved? Well, I don't know. You did that. Do Christians do that? I mean, let me, let me give you a, a hint here, and I'm not trying to soften this idea of holiness one bit, but Paul told the church, stop having orgies. Children of God. What does that tell you? Christians can get pretty messed up out there. By the way, I'm against orgies. Like if you're like, what are you getting at? Yeah, thank God for that. But it tells you we can really screw things up, guys. And we've got to guard our minds because rejection, guys, the feeling of being rejected by this God, rejection is one of the most painful experiences that we can endure as human beings. We are communal creatures. And when you feel rejection, man, it is a, a full-out assault on your soul. And that means that when we're rejected, literally, guys, our place in this world is called into question. If I don't belong with him, where do I belong? And Christian people end up in this limbo place. It's like, well, I've screwed up so bad. Can I really be a child of God? I feel very uncomfortable with God because of what I've done. Maybe I'm not even a Christian, but I can't quite find myself going back out here into this world. And so you got these Christians who just live in this limbo of guilt and rejection. And that's the assault on the mind. And when you fell God, and you're gonna fell God, I love what John says in 1 John 2, 1. He goes, sin not. Oh, but when you sin. (laughs) Like, yes, thank you for that piece right there. The goal is to not sin. Oh, but when you sin, like in the next hour, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who is righteous. But when you fail God, think of what this idea of him rejecting you is doing to you if human rejection is an all-out assault on the soul. And that's the attack. When you fell, can you really be a child of God? Thomas Brooks, he's an old Puritan, don't sweat it. He goes like this. Most Christians live between fears and hopes and hang, as it were, between heaven and hell. Sometimes they hope that their state is good. At other times, they fear that their state is bad. So they are like a ship in a storm tossed here and there. Guys, we got to end that. You got to know that you know that you know that you know that you're saved. That's Billy Graham right there, by the way. So I want to help you back. 
If this is you, I want to help you back. And sometimes when I'm preaching this stuff, I'm just waiting for like the power to go out. Like there's got to be a war going on right now. Let's just do an all-out assault on doubt, rejection, and guilt before our God. So I want to help you back. It's time to settle this. You need to hold on to your heart and not give it away. You need to give it to God. And you need to know that if you're in Christ, you're in Christ. And there's no other place to go but Christ. And no matter what you do, you are still Christ. And so how do you know where you stand with God? If we're to guard our minds of this thing of salvation, how do you know where you're at with God? How do you know that you're always saved? How do you know that you're even saved? So if all else fails in life, if everything comes crumbling down, I have the greatest thing, the one thing that truly keeps me going, I have God. I'm going to give you two things that should show you if you're truly saved or not. Write these down. One is simple. We all get it. How do you become a Christian? How do you know that you're saved? It's in believing that you know that you're saved, right? Romans 10, 13. It's in believing. You see it? For everyone, everyone, no matter how bad you've been, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whatever it was, I don't know. Wow, almost 20 years ago, I walked into a church and I heard that message right there. I heard that verse right there. And I heard that if you ask Jesus Christ to save you and forgive you of your sins, he will and he'll give you a new life. He'll start a new journey. It's through belief. That's, that's first. But you're all going, yeah, I get that. And you're probably saying to yourself, but when I fell, God, I don't feel saved. Praise the Lord, it's not based on feelings. I don't feel saved most of the time. It's not about that. It's about looking at a Savior who's still in human form because he still represents human beings. Like, I just looked at the cross. I'm like, it's about what he's doing, not what I'm doing. So maybe you're here and you're saying, yeah, but man, when I, when I fail him, John, you don't get it. That's, man, that's when everything, my mind just starts really doing wacky stuff on me. And I'm like, I'm no good at this Christian thing. And maybe I should just phase away like Peter, you know. And I love that. Like, Peter didn't get far. Jesus was on his heels. Like, come here. I'm never done with you. Get in the game. So you say, okay, what else do I look to? I need to look to something else to, to fend off these lies in my mind. What else do I look to? You guys, this is so amazing. God is so amazing. <laughs> this is scandalous. It's actually in the failing that you know that you're saved. You're like, dude, you better work that one out real fast. Turn to Romans 7. I cannot tell you that when I fall, it is in that moment of all moments that I know that I know that I know I'm saved. And here's why. Here's what it looks like. Go to Romans 7. We'll throw these verses up. <clears throat> Just flow with me here. Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 15. This is the... This is this is Paul. This is one of our early church fathers. This is Paul, the guy that so many of you saw woven into stained glass. This is our guy. We'll never be like Paul, right? This was Paul's life right here, 715. I just want you to sigh a breath of relief when you hear this. Paul the apostle, the guy who changed the Western world, 
He goes like this, for I do not understand my own actions. Modern day vernacular, why in the world did I do that? Praise the Lord that that is not veiled, but God's like, I need you to see this man. He goes, I do not understand my own actions, for I, I do not do what I want, but I keep doing the things I hate doing. That is a sure sign that if you can't settle down in that pattern of sin, but it's agitating you, it's eating you alive, it is a sure sign that the life of God is in you. Because before I was saved, it never bothered me. I was a pro at it. You know what I'm saying? I don't even get near that stuff anymore, but if I inch, uh, inch closer to that type of lifestyle and I screw up, I can't settle in it, and it's just a small version of it now. It's just like, oh, I'm like weeping, and I'm, I'm, I'm beating myself up. That didn't happen before. Therefore, that proves right there that the life of a holy God is in you. It's in the failing. God is that good. He's like, even when you fall, I'll prove you're saved. And then he says in verse 16, now if I do what I don't want to do, I agree with the law that it's good. Like, I believe God's ways are good. Like, I didn't do what God wants me to do, and it hurts. God's ways are great. I need to get back to them. Yes, that's salvation. That's life. That's what it looks like. Something happened to your heart. That's family. That's family crying. Verse 17, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul's like, I know it's not my soul that's doing it. My soul is one with Jesus. I wouldn't do any of this ever again if it was my way. But I understand that I got a body that's still like animalistic and wants to go back to the old life. But the fact that the real, like the, the inner me, my soul doesn't want it. Where before my soul and body wanted it. But man, it's not who I am anymore. That is proof that the life of God is in you. Verse 18, amen moment all through this thing. Go ahead and holler, you guys. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is my flesh. Like my body, uh, it still reaches back for the old life. That's why we need a resurrection. Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, you guys. We're going to teach you how to get excited. He goes, for I have the desire to do what is right. You see, that's a sure sign you're born again. That's a sure sign you're saved. I have the desire to do right. I did not want to look at that, say that, hurt that person, and I'm grieved because of it. Yes, yes, yes. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out perfectly every second. But I want to get there one day in heaven. For I do, for I do not do the good I want. And I read the Bible, I hear the preaching, and I want to do those things, and I don't do them. I fall short. It is no longer I who do it, it's not my soul. I'm one with Jesus, but it's sin that dwells in my body. So I find, I don't even have these verses up. Let's just keep going. So I find it to be a law that when, when I want to do right, man, I'm always being tempted to go the other way. But the fact that I hate it proves to me that God has saved me and his spirit is in me. And when you fall and you're afraid that you may have 
lost something between you and a loving God, the only reason you would be afraid that your loving God has cast you away is because he's your loving God. That's a family cry. If this is your experience, you are secure. So the next time you fall, you preach to yourself, you preach to the forces of evil, and you speak it right up to Almighty God. The fact that I hate this feeling right now, I'm sorry, but that proves I am a child of God. Never, never question it again. And knowing you're always accepted. Knowing you're always accepted. Guys, attempt great things. And the one thing you'll never lose is him. You just start there. Wherever you're at in your journey, begin a new journey there. I'm saved. Tim Keller says this. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Let's pray together.